Hello, and welcome to the f fifth episode of Q&A oh, Quest. We're already losing count here. Yeah, it is fifth. It's a number. See, we had Gaijin on the third episode, and then we had one... Yeah, five. Cinco de Questo. Recorded uh, on Cinco de Questo. Yes, I am your host. For the fifth month, it's now called Quest. Sure, it should be. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I am your host, Wheels, a.k.a. Mike Apps, and with me, as always... David McBurney, somehow. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so... Our first question is rather long, uh, but I'm going to read it's through this It's a good question, thing. so we're using it anyway. Yes. later. This is from Cassandra Strawberry Eggs Ramos, uh, RP Gamer staff. Yes. Alright. <coughs> Hold on, let me, let me get a... Maybe don't die before reading the question. Let me get a drink of my beverage here. Okay. What are your thoughts on Shin Megami Tensei Cross Fire Emblem? I almost said X there. This mysterious and odd crossover has finally resurfaced, and it doesn't seem to be anything anyone thought it would be. To be fair, though, there was so little information in the game previously that it wasn't even known what subgenre of RPG it was going to be. I'm cautiously optimistic myself, though I'm far more optimistic than cautious. What I find most interesting is that this game doesn't look like it will just be Shimagami Tensei and Fire Emblem characters team up to save the day. Many, maybe even most video game crossovers usually have characters from multiple franchises meet and join forces, fight each other, or both. SMT Cross Fire Emblem seems to be more about blending the styles and aspects of the two IPs into a new game. Sure, there seems to be a girl that resembles Tiki from Fire Emblem Shadow Dragon Awakening, but it doesn't so far anyway look like actual characters from these games will play a large role. I think that is quite creative. How far this will go remains to be seen, but I'm actually rather glad this is more than just a typical crossover. Okay, first I just want to say I agree with that sentiment wholeheartedly. Me too. But uh, the other thing is that, one, I feel like this game was announced right as the deal to allow it to exist was inked. Yeah. Like, the if you go back and look at that announcement teaser trailer, it says Shin Megami Tensei Cross Fire Emblem, which doesn't sound like a title of a video game. It sounds like, you know, a concept. Yeah. And it's a bunch of concept art of, like, well, not even concept art, it's promotional art <laughs> of a random smattering of characters from recent games in both series. Yeah. Which, again, gives the impression that no actual work had begun on the game, which tallies with the fact that we've only just now seen it. Yeah. Uh, uh, huh? I just want to say, I'm going to go on the record as saying the idea of just something mixing up the characters in the two series together kind of bores me. Not only that, like, you know, there's there's situations where that works, but for sure. Fire Emblem, that wouldn't work at all. No, it just, there's no logical fit whatsoever. It, it like, you know, I mean... If you're, for one, let's let's start with the concept of, like, I'm going to see if I can remember some of the people that were shown in that trailer, and it's like, I think it was a smattering of Awakening characters, and, like, Flynn and Isabeau from SMT4, and the Demi-Fiend from SMT3, probably a few others, and it's like, half of those aren't really characters. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, Awakening, you know, they all have defined personalities, but, like, the Demi-Fiend's not a character. He's like he's an avatar for the player's like attempt to bring their philosophy into this world, and that's true of basically every uh, Shin Mikami Tensei protagonist. Like, there's no the 
you'd be trying to squeeze blood from a stone to try to make that the central premise because the primary SMT games don't really trade on character and you know like you could bring in characters from other sub-series but then it like dilutes the yeah it's it's yeah. A, it's a big mess and beyond that which kind of game is this if you're doing a direct crossover is it a game with strategy battles is it a first person dungeon crawler is it a third person dungeon crawler like if you try to combine those two things you create what might possibly be the slowest video game in history <laughs> uh if you try to combine those two things you might just end up with devil survivor with fire emblem characters well yeah but like that that's leaving like devil survivor and most strategy rpgs deliberately leave out all of the time consuming exploration it's true of a normal rpg because again you run the risk of creating the single most time invested video game ever created yeah like you know i am i am glad for the direction they went in to just sort of broad strokes the themes and ideas that are core to both franchises rather than trying to literally mix the two together yeah it certainly could end up in something a lot more interesting yeah like I, you know I, I figured that you know parts of this were probably like marketing influenced of like oh well you know the most popular like people have noted the game looks has traces of more than traces, but you know, it has a persona sort of influence to some of its look as well. But it's like, you know, when you combine those two things, that's kind of what you end up with. A more yeah. character-focused Shin Megami Tensei tends to look like Persona. <laughs> so I'm I'm interested in seeing what comes out of it because it's a more interesting. It's a concept with more legs than the theoretical just slam a bunch of old characters together. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of different ways they could have gone about this. Um, just thinking now of maybe like a Fire Emblem world that is actually like after the apocalypse and kind yeah. of a lot of the fantasy type elements and then you come across, oh hey, here's the remnants of Tokyo or something and you can kind of do, could have do some cool stuff from there, so... I, I was gonna make a joke about that resembling a plot I've already seen, except that that would spoil the game that I was making a joke about, so I won't <laughs> say it. <laughs> Good save. Um, I, I think a lot of these, a lot of crossovers kind of go for the lowest common denominator, so I think it's nice to see something not do that. I, I'm just reminded of the uh, the old Futurama gag about the Executobot that's programmed to like things it's seen before. <laughs> just you know you you kind of like you take that crossover and you know there's there's fruit to be found there but i think that it's a it's a more fruitful tree to plant if you go for something that's a more thematic cross absolutely so and i, and I could see it like branching into the deeper mythologies of both franchises which they both like to do a lot I absolutely mean, like if you're cra if you're a crazy person like me you've looked at like the various like oh where does like where is the split off point that produces each sub franchise in uh, Shin Megami Tensei a lot of them kind of split off from very specific places yeah or like you know there's a shared mythology of a lot of Fire Emblems and I expect both of those to play into the new game but you know it's it's going to be less oh man there's Marth <laughs> <laughs> yeah and this could lead a lot you know honestly that could lead a lot of people that don't play either franchise to this game just, it's yeah that's, that's the other thing. nice thing is that like when you get a crossover like 
uh, you know, a couple of years ago slash last year for us in the U.S. Uh, Professor Layton versus State's Attorney, like, it was a game that felt like it was designed to, uh, it you know, by all appearances, it looked like it was made for people who had played a lot of both series, but yeah. its game design belies the idea that it's actually made for people who've played very little of either. <laughs> yeah, I kind of got that feeling from what I played of it as well. Yeah, and that's that's the other thing that crossovers do, is they're supposed to cross-pollinate audiences, and so they kind of are at their... They kind of need to try to avoid making assumptions about how much the player's played of any. Yeah. Crossovers are hard! Yeah. <laughs> Like, they seem like the easiest thing in the world. Oh, we've got these two popular things. We will put them together, and then you produce Battletoads and Dark Dragon, and you can go... No! <laughs> I hate that game. So do game. I. I played that a lot as a child. Game is evil. Evil. <laughs> but yeah, no. Like, just, just moving into the domain of, like, what makes a good crossover, the understanding that your game is going to pick the interest of people who are fans of both franchises as well as people who are just like what are these two franchises that are now sharing a game yeah and, and so you need to be careful to make both of those work and it it's a tough balancing act it ironically it seems like it should make things easier but it might actually just make them way harder <laughs> yeah well it's got they got some really talented developers is it being developed by both Atlas and I Intelligent think it, I think it's Intelligent Systems with oversight from Atlas but I'm okay. not sure I'll go, I'll go. Well, they def definitely got some artists from Atlas. Oh, definitely. That's, that's for sure. Uh, yeah, but there's good people working on it, so we'll just have to wait and see. I think some people are kind of jumping the gun on judging what we don't really know all that much about. Yeah, it's... <laughs> we, we still... We know much more about the fact that it exists now. Yeah. We still don't know much about what it is... Other than a vague sense of its setting. So we'll see. It's yeah, it seems to just be a co development joint between Atlas and Intelligent Systems. Okay. So good people. That's good a people lot of talent out. to have in one place. Yeah. It doesn't always work out, but it certainly I helps. certainly think that both developers have earned my trust. Yeah, absolutely. Alright. Uh shall we move on? Alright, so what is our next question? Our next question oh man. Who wrote this? I I checked it in the roundup. Um, I think it was Budai. Yeah, I want to say this was Budai. You read it off. I'll go double check. Okay. Uh, this was a fairly simple question, but it resonated with me. What were your first emotions and thoughts from uh, for the first RPG you played? I uh, I mean, at the time, I remember playing FF4 slash FF2 and thinking. This was something beyond what I thought games could be. It's strange, but I can play that game now and sort of set my mind back and almost feel that moment of naivety. And it does say uh, it's from Budai. Oh, okay. Uh, so this is this is going to be a very uh, sad moment of me having to admit this. The first RPG that I ever played was Final Fantasy Mystic Quest. Oh. Which I still kind of love in my heart. <laughs> Because it's dumb, but it's also very breezy to play, and I kind of miss being able to. I I wish there were more RPGs that were that breezy. Yeah. But the other, the other thing is that it was also I was kind of slow to pick up reading, like I was a bad reader for much of my childhood, and uh, so I, I boot up this game and oh no, there's so much talking I don't <laughs> understand. 
And not only that, but I can't hurt things unless I can figure out what I'm supposed to be doing. So, in a twisted way, and part of the reason that my family never was really annoyed at how much I played video games is because playing video games forced me to learn how to read. <laughs> well, there you so, go. Yeah. I, I don't think I can put myself back in the mindset of not being able to read, <laughs> but I can I can still like remember that like what is this what how is this kind of game possible? Well, I could certainly put myself back in the mindset of realizing my parents had rented the wrong Final Fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> what what were you hoping for, and what did you get? We Final Fantasy two, and you got Final Fantasy Mystic Quest. Wait, what? Yeah, that's this. This is how I ended up playing Mystic Quest back in the day. That's not your first RPG. No, that's yeah, not. Like, like, Mystic Quest was just, like, the Final Fantasy we happened to have lying around. <laughs> and it was just, like, it, it was, you know, it was a beginner's RPG, so I could fumble through it despite not being able to understand it very well. But, like, it was just, it, it was the situation where I was like, if I'm going to enjoy the entertainment that I love so much, because I already loved video games at that point, I'm going to have to learn how to read. <laughs> Well, and it must have been pretty good because that game is not super text-heavy. Yeah, it's it's not super text-heavy. It's just the understanding that I was not going to have a complete grasp of what I was doing. Yeah. So that and later Final Fantasies, because I enjoyed that, uh, pretty much forced me. You would think that something like, say, FF7 would have made, made my reading ability stunted, but no. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. I never, I never failed to learn grammar because uh, FF7 insisted that a guy R sick. Guy R sick. This guy R sick. Uh, uh, well, what's, what's your answer, Miles? Well, I can't really remember the first one I played. Uh, it's quite <laughs> Is that code for not wanting to admit? No, I, I honestly can't remember. I know I played the original Final. I, I think watch somebody play the original Final Fantasy. I don't know when I actually got to play it myself. I remember I I remember I owned like the Nintendo Power Guy and used to like pour over it. But never. anyone that had Nintendo Power at the time was going yeah. to have an entire FF1 guide. But I never got to actually really dig into FF1, which kind of sucked. But I remember being really pumped to get hold of an FF1 remake when those started happening. <laughs> yeah, me too. And then it was. Eh. And it then, got progressively less novel every time. <laughs> and then I went to try and play the original version, and it's like, dear lord, this is slow. I think the but, best way I heard it described was that FF1, in any given combat, uh, there is about a 40% chance that anything you do in that game is going to not uh, interact the way that the game claims it's supposed to. <laughs> because every weapon's critical index, critical rate is not does not match what it says it is because half of the spells in the NES version don't work. Oh my god. That game. But that's, but that's, that's a field yeah, of the subject. That's uh, still not the first RPG. It's an entirely different thing. But the first RPG... Uh, assuming we don't count Zelda, which they're not going to go into that. Yeah, I, but, I don't personally count it. I know some people yeah. do, but moving into turn-based RPGs. Yes, Final Fantasy Legend. So, obviously, <laughs> I, 
So I was like kind of obsessed with the original Final Fantasy, despite only like watching some people playing it and poring over the strategy guides. So when I had a Game Boy and saw there was a Final Fantasy for Game Boy, I absolutely wanted that. Um, uh, I think that that caused a lot of people to play a soccer game that would not have otherwise. So. Yeah. <laughs> so I got that game. You know, it was a little different. But it had some cool menu music. Got to make my own party. Started playing it and was like, what in the heck am I playing? What has happened? <laughs> what is going on? Why are, we, why are my weapons Everyone's breaking? Everyone's ability set keeps changing. <laughs> why do these monsters in my party suck? Why? Okay, I fed them some meat. They turned into something unrelated that might actually be weaker than what well, they just were. <laughs> I got this cool king sword, but I have to get rid of it. But it's the only weapon that I found that doesn't run out of durability. What is this game? <laughs> oh man, I forgot. Did the game like just force you to get rid of that? Yeah, you have to. Um, to get past the first world, you have to put it on a statue. Oh, that's evil. Yeah. <laughs> Like you, you get the you get the king sword, armor, shield, and stuff, and you can and like you have to progressively take each of them off. Yeah, and you can like ac- absolutely wreck stuff with those in the first world, and then yeah. pretty hateful. Yeah. yeah, like that's that's kind of the like that's just saga being saga. Yeah, but but I, I feel like your initial exposure to Legend One explains a lot about continuing <laughs> love for Kawazu. <laughs> For sure, and it, it's, it's kind of interesting because, uh, I mean, I obsessed over this game, played tons of it, eventually beat it, um, but I still had like this yearning for something like an actual Final Fantasy, and when I finally got it in the third Final Fantasy Legend, it never really, it was kind of boring. <laughs> yeah, it was less interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, the, gotten the Stockholm Syndrome for the sagas. <laughs> I played this game more than the second one, not because I liked it more than the second one, just because I had it for a longer time than the second one, and just, uh, this game was like my childhood, you know, I took that Game Boy everywhere and played this game, and I just have this cool fondness for that game, and I still have my original cartridge, and, you know, I can still kind of remember that feeling of, yes, I've got this Final Fantasy on Game Boy, and not getting quite what I expected, but eventually learning to... Learning to love it as though it were the Final Fantasy. Yeah. You know, well, I mean, there's just... It's just such kind of a... I don't want to say it's like a huge game, because it's really not looking at modern day games, that's, but that's for the time, time. Yeah, for the time, you know, you got this huge tower, you have that to climb up. There's all kinds of secret Boy's areas. Launch game. Yeah. Like, There's all kind of secret areas as you're going up that tower. There's some cool secret weapons to find, like the glass sword, the Excalibur. It's a, it's a Game chainsaw. Boy game that is not deliberately and markedly smaller than its brethren. Yeah, and that that meant something. Yeah. So though I can't remember for certain if this that was my first RPG, it's definitely the earliest that made like a huge impression on ab- you. Absolutely. Not counting Zelda, because otherwise. Obviously, Zelda. Well, yeah, Zelda. Zelda, Zelda. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I uh, I remember just just to round out this experience, my first Saga experience was Saga Frontier. Ah, yes, I love that game. I, I love it too, and I never beat it. Like not in any real sense. Like 
I'd get like two thirds of the way through any given character's story and like run into some sort of roadblock and just start playing someone else's and <laughs> like like that freedom of choice to just start up as someone completely different who does a completely unrelated quest was mm. something that poisoned my ability to finish the game. <laughs> yeah, me too, but, actually. <laughs> but I adored it because it was like the weirdest thing I could find. Like there was nothing else. Like I, you know, I I got RPGs at that point because I mean I loved RPGs. So, oh man, Square's name is on it. I will purchase this. Like the brand loyalty was that strong, and it's like, th- what is this? <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like, even though I wasn't very good at it, I loved it because it was just so different from anything else I could put in my PlayStation. Yeah, I, I remember the finally getting the realization that hey, those Game Boy games I had played were actually a different series, so I got super excited for this game. And That reminds me that, uh, just as a coda to the whole thing, there exists pre-release materi- preview material for Final Fantasy Legend that calls it the Great Warrior Saga. <laughs> That's interesting. So, uh, before they struck upon the much better idea of selling it as Final Fantasy <laughs> here, uh, in order to Trojan horse it into people's Game Boys, yeah, um, they actually did uh, have some intent to localize it as of what it was, but that's neither here. Nor yeah, there. you know what's interesting is uh, they have the soundtracks for the remake of Saga Two and Saga Three yeah. on iTunes, and yeah. they're actually listed under Final Fantasy Legend. <laughs> oh, that's kind of great. Yeah, that reminds me. Like the other thing is that I, I feel like one day I should just like clandestinely purchase a Wonder Swan and the remake of Legend One. I totally did that. And just well, <laughs> I, I I should say I didn't buy the Wonder Swan. I just bought the cartridge so I could emulate, emulate it. it yeah, it. yeah, and it's a cool little keepsake considering how much that original game meant to me. So yeah, it's cool. Clearly, I just need to send you a Wonder Swan crystal. <laughs> That's your birthday present, Wales, an excuse to play Final Fantasy Legend 1 again, but in a language you don't read. No. <laughs> but I have the fan translation. <laughs> Too bad. Oh, that game is so cool to play in color. It's a nice little remake. Yeah, it's it's kind of a shame that they didn't port it to GBA, because, I mean, yeah. Wonder Swan color games look a lot like GBA games, but it never got ported there. <laughs> Oh, the re- remakes of all three of those games are so good. Just yeah, shame. Yeah, it's a shame we didn't get any of them. At least there's fan translations. Yeah. Thanks. I still blame piracy for that. It's probably not far afield. Yeah. But moving on. All right. Let's wrap this one up. All right. So let's see. What is our next question? Ah, so this is kind of going off some stuff we talked about last week. Yeah, I feel like we've we provoked <laughs> this. Yes. Okay, so should they? Did we sl- not mention who that last one was by. Uh, yeah, no, we yeah we did. That was uh, Budai, Budai, who never said if we were pronouncing his username right or not. But that's fine. Oh, All right. Uh, should they slow down on making Etrian Odyssey games? You touched on this, but veered away from it. But let's hear about it, especially with Untold threatening to catch up with the main series if it keeps up this pace. Uh, which it seems like it will. Um, so the long, the short version is yes. <laughs> yeah, uh, like <laughs> just you know, 
like anecdotal evidence doesn't count for much, but like you know, I follow, I I listen to a lot of fan discussion about Etrian Odyssey, and uh, it's reaching the point where like people are excited for new ones, but are like, oh, I'm several games behind. I don't know when I'll get to it, <laughs> and I don't know when I'll get to it. Eventually, turns into I don't know when I'll buy it. Eventually, yeah. turns into eh, whatever. Like brands are really hard to manage without killing them. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I don't know that a yearly entry really, which is kind of what's happening at this point, is really smart for super long, complicated RPGs. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, like if if we're counting, uh, you know, things like Persona Q, it's more than an entry a year. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, that's not sustainable. No. For just about really any franchise. <laughs> yeah, especially considering you know Atlas obviously re- releases multiple games a year, and I'm sure they have a lot of uh, cross pollination for their various franchises. So. Yeah, like now you're talking like about a totally bunch of long up, RPGs. Like I'll totally pick up Fafnir Night, but I'm, yeah. I, I figure like do Untold Three, then stop these. <laughs> yeah. Uh, incorporate like a story mode, like ne- never drop classic mode, but incorporate a story mode into later games, but don't keep making these separate series. It's it it will hurt you in the long run. Yeah, I feel like that's the the best path moving forward is just to do both as one game to begin with. Yeah. And then you don't have to do, well, you know, I want to say then you don't have to do these separate releases, but I guess you know, separate you, releases you, is more money. You lessen the risks. Yeah, because that's true. Like the, the, the point of adding in like all of these things to the remakes is to introduce new fans to the old ones as well as to give them give new people who don't really want something that plays as close to a classic wizardry style game as that to have something that's a little more palatable to their tastes. And it's like, if you just incorporate that into the base release, you just sell the base release more rather than right. selling separate games to separate people. You know, I, don't, I haven't really followed the sales in Japan, but I don't think it's really like skyrocketing up, skyrocketing up in sales or anything that would warrant I think it's mostly just a really stable money earner. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I just just doesn't seem to make sense to keep doing. It. I, I mean, are we gonna are we really gonna have a four untold? Only like a few years after four came out. Four untold also on three. Yeah. <laughs> I, I Somehow think, released four years apart. Uh, getting a little out of hand. Uh, I'm you know don't get me wrong. I very much want to remake three. <laughs> Because three is really good, but I, I feel like three is the last one they can feasibly do without it getting kind of ridiculous. Yeah, just you know, stop at three and yeah. I, I have know. gotten some good perspective on uh, on Etrian Odyssey as far as uh, first-person dungeon crawling goes by recently playing the original Fantasy Star. Oh dear, and, uh, that game is a classic. I have, I've been like I've been looking at maps <laughs> on the internet and still getting lost. Yeah, that is. Uh, it does give you some good perspective on you know, like people talk about Etrian as being just oh you know it's the old school wizardry like and it's like oh they've made a lot of nice changes <laughs> that make it much less confusing. I mean you know Fantasy Star was also you know chafing against the 
constraints of its hardware and thus yeah, has it's... some issues that are exclusive to it, but still. Fancy Star is a perfect illustration of what people mean when they say a game has not aged well. It's still kind of fun, though. Like, I yeah, can't it is. Say it's not it is. Fun. Yeah, it, yeah, it, it is, but it's not like picking up the original Dragon Quest. Yeah, Just... that's true. But, but that was just my sort of counterpoint to like the you know do we really need more Etrian and it's like you know as much as you know I, I feel like Etrian will hurt itself if it keeps this pace I'd still play it over most old school first person RPGs or Etrian knockoffs which I would play it over all of <laughs> yeah uh, I mean if you need to need more Etrian I'm game for more Etrian mystery dungeon <laughs> but how far have you gotten in that uh, not super far, but I'm. I mean, I'm not really trying to play it. Yeah, it's true. Like it's true. that. Kind you of have just, time to save her. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad I didn't have to review that one. But yeah, no, it's it's just something that like you know, you you can't just keep using. You either either need to slow down the number of releases and or you know relegate some of the more extraneous releases to being more spin-offy. Sure, and for that matter, I think if they they're really trying to pump out releases that fast. This quality of the series might start to suffer a bit. Yeah, I'd I bring that up, except it hasn't yet. So. It's, yeah, I I don't really have too many complaints about any of the games, except it's, it's, that um, I have a huge stack of Etrian Odyssey to play. Yeah, it's it's just a vague misgiving about how sustainable it is. It's not it's not that Etrian Odyssey has ever produced an installment that wasn't worth your time, it's just, you know, Etrian Odyssey wants a lot of your time. <laughs> yep, it's, it certainly does. Okay, so our next question is kind of a general question. Uh, but it's a fun one. So. Yeah, so favorite RPG villain archetypes, and this is from, this is the weekly question from Lil Whoops. Yeah. Although he's he's much less dominant than he has been in previous weeks. Yes, we are getting a lot more questions, and we're trying to mix everybody in here. Other people up in their game. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of really common villain archetypes. So I mean, I I thought that this was always kind of a fun question for for me. I really like villains that are just unapologetically evil. Yes. Like, there's, there's a lot of situations where they try to sort of humanize a villain, and the problem that that always runs into is, okay, you've humanized, you've ma attempted to make me empathize with this villain, but at the end of the day, their goal is still to blow up the Earth. Yeah. <laughs> and I, like, at this point, you have just, you, as much as I appreciate your attempt to give the story depth, you have actually highlighted how silly it is. <laughs> so, you know... Give me a complete madman. Give me someone that's, in fact, quite sane, but also just is so intensely evil that they don't care. Yes, it's nice to do the the crazy super evil as long as well as the super intelligent super evil guy, who is yeah, just my, malicious. Yeah, like you know, I I played, I finally played Sweet uh, Coden Two a few months ago, and Luca Blight is just a complete Mad Hatter. Mm hmm And also just, like, pretty much evil just for its own sake. Like, there's hints at a humanizing reason, but the game never tries to imply that the that his thought processes are such that, like, these make him 
even really sympathetic. It's just, oh, these are things that happened in his past. Yeah. It doesn't matter, though. He's, like, a complete loon. Yeah, they feel like it's reasons that turned him in, helped to turn him into a monster, but he is totally a monster. There are things that screwed him up, but it's difficult to say how much that he would have been the same either way. Yeah. And, you know, he's just... Like, everything is just an excuse to cause more bloodshed. Yeah. In the same vein, I really like Kefka, who never really gets a big backstory and is just a crazy clown who wants to watch the world burn, pretty much. He's he's the Joker. Yep. At at the end of the game, he's just, like, blowing stuff up for no reason whatsoever and couldn't care less. Yes. Essentially, yes. Like, and, and, yeah, and on the same wavelength, I'm also also fond of just, like, eldritch unknowables. Yes. Like, you know... I like Mass Effect a lot more, the Reapers in Mass Effect a lot more when their motives were completely impossible to understand or discern. Hmm. Or like, uh, Fantasy Star as a series has you fighting, uh, you know, Dark Force, which, you know, as as it goes through, it sort of like, oh, it's the very concept of evil that is uh, just <laughs> screwing things up because it can. Yeah. That, that sort of just like... Let's just go for something that, like, oh, why don't I understand why this is happening? Because it is completely incomprehensible to the human mind. Those are also fun to me. Yeah, I think it, Mass Effect actually would have been a lot cooler if it just, you you know, we fight the Reapers, you defeat them, but never have a clear understanding of what the heck yeah. their purpose was. Yeah, and you could, you know, because at some point, you know, once you reach something whose objective is that inherently destructive, there's really no point in trying to create a reason that a human can understand for why it's trying to be destructive. Mm-hmm. Because at some point, that reasoning cannot cannot wash with someone whose brain works properly. <laughs> like, for, with someone who has a sense of morality. It... it that reasoning cannot wash because like at some point it breaks down with okay but you're still blowing up you know untold amounts of people and it's just like in your attempt to humanize you highlight the absurdity yeah yeah there's the there's the pseudo philosophical exponent like and from it philosophical in terms of how writing stories works idea of why you don't humanize the villain because at some point, your attempts to do so actually make their motives untenable in terms of once you get to world-destroying stories. Unless they aren't trying to destroy the world. Yeah, then, you know, the less... The, the more personal the villain's goal, the less insane... Like, the more that there is something to be actively gained from them, the more that you gain from humanizing them. But the more that their goal becomes, like just wanton destruction, the less that can be gained from trying to make them make sense. Yeah, I, I think a lot of games can run into trouble because a lot of them want to do the world is ending nonsense when it yeah. might be better to just scale that back and do like a war story of some kind. Yeah, personal... Like Suikoden yeah. has done. Yeah, like Suikoden has like a hundred characters and yet you can kind of feel something for all of them because they're all telling they're all t- 
taking part in a war story that's like inherently relatable by virtue of the fact that people know what wars are. Yep. Wars happen, and you sort of have to deal with that. Yeah. And Sweetenin does a nice job. Actually, Sweetenin Two does a nice job in it that you get the crazy mad villain, and then you get the conflict after, which honestly and before, and just like the other yeah. cogs around him that have to exist. Sure. And you know, he never. It's not an enemy like you want to completely vanquish. You can steer out. Anything that will make them stop. Yes, it's you're at war and you're trying to find peace, and it's not always that simple. And honestly, that game doesn't really never doesn't never left me with the feeling of like, oh yay, we saved the world. It's like, oh well, well, glad that's over, I guess. It's it's choice of. Uh... Villain archetypes and conflict allows it to have more falling action than most games do. Yeah, so something like uh, Tactics Ogre has uh, a lot more interesting villains that aren't of the crazy super evil type. Yeah. I guess I guess in general, I'm interested in how a villain fits the story they're involved in. Absolutely. Um, so, so, yeah. I think we kind of went <laughs> a yeah, bit of field we, we of questions. We examined that from, I'd say we examined that from about every direction about like, okay, if we like these villains, why do we like them? Yeah. So there you go. There you go. <laughs> Recording! Three, two, one, let's jam. Alright, so our final question of this episode is Monster Hunter related. Yes! Success. Of course. <laughs> I'm going to have to rain on someone's parade. <laughs> Alright, this is kind of a multi-part question, so it's, uh, start with the first part. What is your weapon of choice in Monster Hunter 4 Ultimate? Mine is the mace, I don't know why, but it is the one I managed to have the best mobility and love to stun. But I try to play with most of the weapons and can't get it in my head around the ranged ones. That's okay, a lot of people can't. <laughs> ranged weapons, they're weird. Yeah, they're weird, you have to have multiple ammo types. Not really gonna run and gun. It's it's kind of complicated. Really, I think they're designed for multiplayer, where you could have people with close range weapons. Yeah, but I think those especially are designed to like back up people with the close range weapons rather than direct offense. Exactly. Um, But as far as the weapons I use, I kind of switch around between multiple weapons based on what kind of mood I'm in. Yeah, and that could, that can kind of work out because um, generally you're going to want to have multiple weapons anyway, so you can have different element types to use against different monsters. Uh, so normally you'd probably just make multiple multiple uh, versions of your favorite kind of weapon, but I make multiple weapons of different types, so I can kind of switch around. So. I use the new, both of the new weapons, the charge blade uh, and the insect glaive, which are are both a lot of fun to use. And I still have a a gun lance or two, since that's kind of the weapon that got me into the series. So I like to use that on occasion. Um, but I do prefer the weapons with a shield a lot of the time. Although the insect glaive has gotten me out of that a lot. So. Uh, those are really my primary three. I don't really use any of the others, uh, but you know, maybe I'll give them a try now that I I'm more used to not having a block button. 
Or maybe I'll try them with Monster Hunter 5 whenever that comes out. Yeah. I think that might be a bit, though. It'll be a little while. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. And the second part of the question here is, are there any good games out there that are like Monster Hunter? I have got to eat or burst in my backlog. Is it any good? Oh man, you're singing a song. Yes, uh, God's Eater Burst is really good. Not nearly as in depth as Monster Hunter, as far as weapon types and whatnot. Uh, but it's got its own style to it. You can you get to switch between a, a gun and a melee weapon, and like your melee weapon attacks will charge up your ammo for your gun. So it's a different play style. That series has incredible music. Uh, it's you're more... gonna you're gonna tail end this with a Godseater song, aren't you? Yeah, probably. Probably from the second game. That's got a better soundtrack. Uh, but the story it's got a cool story too. Uh, it's more story intensive if that's your thing. And uh, yeah, so that one's definitely interesting. Uh, there's also there's a lot of them. There's been yeah. like a cottage industry of them, especially since uh, Monster Hunter went. 3DS and thus like the Vita is starved for them. Yeah, I, I really intended to do a whole big article talking about Monster Hunter clones, what they do wrong, what they do right, and what they could do better, but I never really could kind of formulate Wrangle that into a yeah, article. Exactly. Uh, there, but I'll mention a few other good ones. There is uh, Soul Sacrifice, which doesn't, which is kind of the more follows the core concept of Monster Hunter but plays like completely differently so you don't really have a weapon at all instead you have you bring six spells into battle which have a certain number of uses um, there's certain ways you can recharge in the middle of a battle but that's kind of the core concept and it's got its own play style and it's pretty interesting just doesn't it's, it kind of goes right for the uh, Right for like the big battles against monsters and kind of missing, missing a little bit of you know what I don't even know exactly what it's missing, but it's missing something, so it's not quite as good as Monster Hunter. Uh, what else is there? Uh, there's like the Fantasy Star Portable games and Fantasy Star Zero. If you're, if oh, you, yeah, if you enjoy like the Final Fantasy Online offshoots. Those are pretty decent. Final uh, Fantasy Online, I believe you mean uh, Fantasy Star. Fantasy, the uh, Fantasy Star Online, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So there's those. Um, I remember those being reasonably well received. Yeah, they're pretty good. Uh, I think they're kind of hard to find at this point, though. Yeah. Like they're not they're not on PSN. <laughs> Bless you. And the UMDs are pretty expensive. Last I looked, I think uh, Fantasy yeah, Zero is an old DS card at this point. Yeah, so. that might uh, be hard to find as well. If you haven't played Monster Hunter Three, you can do that as well. There's plenty of that. Yeah. See also uh, Monster Hunter uh, Freedom Unite, I think is two. Yeah, that that is the like ex the G version of two. Yeah, I don't think we ever got the base version of two. We we did. Um, no. no, I'm sorry. We got the base version of uh, two portable. We didn't get the base yeah. base version of two. Dose. Uh, and let me think. What else there is? Uh, the one from Xseed. What the heck was it called? Um, 
bleh, can't remember the name of it. I'm gonna look it up right now and cut out this whole section. Ragnarok, yes, Ragnarok, Ragnarok Odyssey. Ragnarok Odyssey. Uh, that one was well liked. It seemed to recall. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's it's more. Whenever action. I hear like, "What do I play if I want to play Monster Hunter but only have a Vita?" I always hear like three things mentioned. It's like Ragnarok Odyssey, uh, Soul Sacrifice, and Toki Dun. Yep. Uh, God's Heater should really be in there too, since it's on PSN. That's, <laughs> that's definitely the best of that group. Um, so yeah, there's uh, there's that, which is more action-focused and kind of mixes in a bit of Fantasy Star Online-type stuff. Uh, and there's Tukunen, which is like the uh, Dynasty, Dynasty Warriors-themed Monster Hunter clone. <laughs> I haven't played. Oh, finally, I can hunt Lubu. Yeah, uh, I haven't played a ton of it, but it's pretty, pretty decent. And that's about it. So, uh, since you already have it, I'd start with God's Eater Burst and see how you like that. He's a big God's Eater booster. Yes. Um, and I think that about wraps things up for this week. Yeah. Sorry, we uh, this episode is a little shorter than the last couple because I'm out of town soon, so we needed to wrap one up fairly quickly. Yeah, and uh, I'm going to work on trying to get some more guests on some of the upcoming Yeah, episodes. we made a last-minute attempt to see if that could happen. Didn't pan out. Yeah. That's life. That's all right. All right, well, we will see you next time. Uh, you can send in questions to wheels at rpgamer.com. Hit us up on Twitter, uh, at askwheels, at Fanboy Master. Has anyone actually tweeted nope, at you? <laughs> All right. I say thankfully. I'd be happy to hear from people. It's just like they probably wouldn't enjoy any answers I had to give. So. Um, I am on ask.fm at askwheels. I don't know this. I don't think anyone sent in any questions in there. I should probably double check that. Um, and uh, as people have been doing, you can just post questions in the forum topic for the latest episode, and I pick those up and put them in the backlog. Uh, so yeah, keep sending stuff in, and we will keep answering your questions, and we will see you next time. <laughs>